Many people believe, many Christians believe, I should say, that by faith, many things will happen. In fact, let me give you some of the verses that are often used by Christians, even preachers, that say that if you have faith, you can cause these things to happen. When Jesus curses a fig tree, the next day that fig tree is dead. And the disciples marvel at this. And in Matthew chapter 21, verse 21, it says, And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and, and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. What they were saying is that the mountain was an insurpassable, insurmountable problem that you would have. And that problem was a mountain, and that mountain could be thrown into the sea if you had enough faith. If you have enough faith, it's obvious that it's, the Scripture says that you can be healed. We talked about this last week. I'm going to flesh this out a little bit more this week. But remember the woman who has been bleeding for 12 years, and she touches Jesus' outer garment? Jesus didn't say, touching my, gar touching my garment caused you to be healed. What did he say? Mark chapter 5, verse 34. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So it's by faith that she's healed. And fact is, is that continuing on from that passage about the fig tree, it seems that we can just about ask for anything from God and it will be done for us if we have faith. For Matthew 21, 22 says, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now, one of the problems that we have is, is that faith has been defined for so many people and seems like in so many sermons that it is something that you manufacture within yourself. In fact, faith looks to me more like a force of our own will rather than anything else that I can discover out there. And so I look and I say, where does this faith come from? Where do we get this faith? You see, we can be superstitious about this and say, and say, you know what, it comes from within myself. And superstitious faith requires that the Christian abandon common sense to believe something without evidence. Now remember that, without evidence that is there. You realize that that's what a lot of times we are expected to believe. And this pseudo-type faith is going to leave us feeling guilty, guilty if we don't see one, somebody healed or we don't see some Christian endeavor that we're trying to be involved in. It's not successful. Or on the other side, we don't feel guilty. We blame it on somebody else. It was because you didn't have enough faith that this didn't happen. You see, it may seem, it may be though that you, because you had a lack of faith that these things were not accomplished. But it isn't because you didn't manufacture the, the faith yourself. It is not because you didn't have a strong enough will. You see, because faith is not something you manufacture on your own. And it cannot be something that we manufacture on our own. So what I'm going to do is I want to take you from a little bit deeper into faith and then a little bit deeper into faith and a little bit deeper into faith this morning. Let's see what is faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith for us. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
Now, where does this hope and this conviction come from? Now, you could look at that and you say, well, it comes from the assurance that is there. Well, let's look at what Webster says. Webster says that assurance is a positive declaration intended to give confidence, a promise. Well, where does the promise come from? Where is the promise that we would need in order to have this faith, in order to have this hope? And what about if we have hope? If we try to determine having just everything that is based upon our hope, then we would, we would have chaos in the world. I mean, think of it this way. If you've got two farmers, they're living next to each other. They have, they have two different crops. One is hoping that it rains and the other is hoping that it, it has sunshine. You realize that they can't have it that way. Or and a more practical for some of the single people out there, maybe you're hoping this girl will marry you and she's hoping she never sees you again. You understand there's a difference between those two. You see, there's chaos that would erupt there. And what about conviction? Well, let's go to Webster again. Webster says that conviction is the state of being convinced. Well, then who is doing the convincing? Is it ourselves that are doing the convincing? And I can tell you that if you want your own self, just yourself, not God involved in it at all. If it's just, just you, yourself, and I, or you and yourself and you, I guess, what you will find is, is that you will always go toward the things of this world for physical pleasure, possessions, and money. Those two things go together and pride and power. And what you'll find that in many of the preachers that are preaching to you, that are telling you that you can have anything you want, you just have to dream it up and you can, they will typically use those three things as the things you're going to go toward. They will say physical pleasure, you're going to be healed, you're going to have a better life, and, and you're going to feel better about it and all of that kind of stuff. You're going to have possessions, you can have all the money you can ever uh, spend and all of that, and then you're going to have pride. You can be at the, you'll be at the top of your company in the next year or so. And that's the kind of thing that they're, that they're looking at, and that's what they're uh, dealing with in this. You see, that's, that's not where faith really comes from in all of that. And if we all do that sort of thing, and it's about our own convictions, and we want to, you know, we want to live on our own convictions, and our own convictions is, is that I need to have all of the physical pleasure and all of the money then, and all of the pride, then there's going to be a competition that is going to be going on with all the Christians. And you know what? We won't have any servants in the church anymore. Everybody will be, want to be in charge of everything. So there must be more to faith than this. Let's go underneath this. Faith is a gift from God. Scripture tells us that very clearly. Ephesians 2.8 says, And for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Now you're saying, wait a minute, aren't you just isn't this talking about salvation? No, this is talking about faith. Let's talk about faith right here. It's faith for salvation, faith for anything else that you've got out there. It is simply faith. But if faith is a gift from God, and it's only a gift from God, why is Jesus so upset for, with people that don't have enough faith? Shouldn't he, shouldn't he be bad at God? Shouldn't he say, well, God didn't give you enough faith? That's why you didn't do what you were supposed to do in the first place? And there's got to be a deeper understanding than simply telling people, you just got to believe. You just got to believe, whether it's for salvation or anything else. There's got to be more to it than that. So let's go a little deeper than that. The scripture tells us that it is impossible to please God without faith. That's a statement that we should grasp a hold of really well. 
Because see, a lot of people want to go out there and they want to start doing something for God. And they have no idea what faith is in order to do that. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And he rewards those who seek him. There are three things that the scripture teaches us about faith. Number one is, is that faith requires drawing near to God. We need to recognize this. If we're going to have faith, we are going to draw near to God. See, this is the principle of faith from God's word. Understand this. We understand some things from God's word that we don't have to have a word from God in any other way. And I'm just giving you this. It said the situation is, is that when you draw near to God, he draws near to you. And in this principle of getting into God's word and learning things from God's word, we can learn some things about God and realize he's not going to violate who he is and what he has done even in the past. And we can, we, can, we can deal with the things because we know this is how God acts. This is how God is. A principle of God's word does not require God to overtly give you a word. You do not have to have an overt word from God. Case in point, going back to the woman with the issue of blood. The woman with the issue of blood believed that if she touched Jesus' outer garment, that she would be healed from her bleeding for 12 years. And she believed that if she touched that garment, an unclean woman, that she would be made clean. Now, how does that work? Well, you see, if a unclean woman or a clean man touched a holy man, that holy man would have been made unclean. You've got to believe more about Jesus than that. You've got to believe that he was God himself. God cannot be made unclean. God cannot be made unholy. So when she touches that prayer shawl that would have been around his neck, that outer garment, see, there's only one thing that can happen. She's going to be made clean because he cannot be made unclean. What did she believe about Jesus? That he is God. That's what she believed. And that was the faith that she needed in this. Second thing the scripture teaches us. Faith requires believing that God exists. Now this flies in the face of everybody who says I need to manufacture my own faith. (laughs) Because if if you could manufacture your own faith then you don't need God in the first place. But this is the principle of natural fact natural fact. Now, the way the the principle of natural fact works is this. I have seen that God has done this and this and this and this and this, and I know that God is going to do this. I have seen, these are the things that I see in the natural world. These are the things that I have seen that has happened in my own life, and I can see where God is leading me through this. In Romans chapter 1, verse 19, it says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, And divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Now remember what I just said. He says, I see God was working here. 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 I know that God is going to be working here as well. 
This is that principle of the natural fact that we have there. Now, most people already believe that God exists. There are, there are some that are dense enough to not believe that. But when you know that he exists, then you can start to realize the things that he is actually doing in the world. He's doing in your life, in fact. And you can follow along. And you can say, God was here. God was here. God, this is where God's leading me. This is where I know that God's leading me. Because I've already seen what he's done already. And the natural things that I have seen. And then third, faith it requires believing in a personal God. We learn this from the scripture. Now, this is a, the principle of faith from a personal God. I don't have that on the screen, but this is a, a faith from a personal God. You see, those that seek him must know that he can be found. And they know that if they can find him, he will reward those who find him. Now, he's not hiding, by the way. And so when we are praying, and when we're praying, we're not simply telling God the things we need. He already knows what we need. You know that. God already knows what you need. You don't have to tell him what you need. And so what happens is, what we're doing is, is that we are actually seeking God when we pray. There's a whole lot of difference that goes on with that. See, and it is in this that we are seeking a word from him. And that's what we were seeking. When I was leaving Lubbock, Texas, I was, you know, there comes a point, you know, I'm talking about the, the very, the, you know, the natural uh, phenomena that I talked about a minute ago when we have that, that principle of the natural facts that are there. You know that your, it, your, your ministry time is up. You've moved along and and sort of this. And so I, you know, I was ready to leave and I told God I'd go anywhere. I'd do anything that he wanted me to. And believe it or not, God had it arranged that I had one interview on one weekend and I had two interviews for the next weekend. And I was absolutely sure that I was going to go to one of those interviews on the second weekend. I was sure because, my goodness, that one looked so good. I mean, they sent me their plane tickets. They sent me their agenda. They were going to put me up in the country club. And I'm telling you what, if you want to get to my heart, you put me up in the, you know, you feed me at the country club and put me in a, in a Hilton. I mean, that's what they were putting me in the, the Hilton. You know, I, I, I was going, yeah, that's where I think God wants me to go. But the first one, the first one that I went to was Brentwood, Tennessee. And I want, I want you to know, they put me in the the most rat-infested hotel I've ever been in my life. And I go there, and I'm going, I cannot believe I've been there. I mean, I, I'm not joking with you. The, the carpet was worn through in my room, you know, that, so you could see the, the wood underneath it. I'm just giving you, or might have been, it might have been cement that was under it. I mean, I don't remember what was under it, but I knew that the carpet was worn. And I go and I interview, and here's what happens. I'm thinking, this church cannot afford to even call me. This church cannot even, I, they can't even, I mean, they can't, I, I won't be able to feed my family if I come to this church. If this is the place they put me in, and if they're trying to impress me with this, they've done it. Good job. I'm impressed not to come here. So, I, but I interview, and I got back to my hotel room. Now, folks, have you ever had one of those God moments where he just grabs a hold of you? I'm talking about grabs a hold of you. It was so strong in that room, even though I put my knees on a dirty floor, I would have to say that I had God in that room with me. And he said, this is the place I want you to be. 
This is the place I want you to be. And so I knew where I was supposed to be. So I go fly back to Lubbock, Texas, and they, they had a dust storm that day. I took that as a sign from God, too, that I was supposed to leave. But anyway, so I get, I get there, and I said, I'm not even supposed to go interview for those other two churches. And so I called them up. I have not gotten a word from Brentwood at all. I, have, I called them up, and I said, I'm sending plane tickets back. I'm sending all the stuff I need back to you guys. I believe, and I know, God is calling me to another church. And I'm sorry that we come to that spot, but I interviewed, and I know this is of God, without any word from Brentwood. Now, here's what I did that was wrong. When Brentwood called me on Thursday of that next week and said, we'd like to interview you again, I said, I am so convinced that I'm supposed to come to Brentwood Baptist Church that if you, do, you guys don't call me, you're going to be outside of God's will. Now, that's not the right way to handle that. I will tell you up front. But that's exactly what happened. And we went to Brentwood. And by the way, the funny part is, that was the richest church in the, all three of them, and I didn't know it. I just didn't know it. So it's interesting to me that while I could take the natural facts that I had, that I knew that my, my ministry was ending there, and I could follow along, and then I get that personal word from God, and I knew it was going to happen simply because of that. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And I realize that's talking about salvation too, but it's still just talking about faith. We need to have the faith to listen to God, draw near to him, let him draw near to us, and then speak to us so that we can know his word. Now, I'm not trying to say you don't use God's word. I didn't say that at all because that, the, the principles of God's word, the principles of natural fact, and then that principle of faith from a word from God that comes along because God has spoken to you. For receiving God's word is paramount in faith. It is absolutely paramount in faith. See, and yet I hear from so many people and they say to me, but I never hear from God. I'm not going to be kind to you this morning. I'm going to tell you why people don't hear from God. Too many people <clears throat> quench the Spirit when they have received a word from God. A word from God comes in from this, His principles of His Word, comes in from the natural fact, or even God speaks to them personally. And what they do is, is they will not do what God has told them to do. They, they quench the Spirit. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians, they have that problem, evidently, the Thessalonians. For Paul writes, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. That means that the Word of God has come to them. And they have, I mean, this means that the person quenching the Spirit ignores or denies the Spirit. That's what they're doing. They're ignoring or denying the Spirit. This is the story of Peter. If you remember the story of Peter, when first he says, Jesus, you're the, you're the Son of God. You're the Son of the living God. I mean, and, and Jesus says, Simon Barjona, you know, uh, man did not reveal that to you, but God revealed that. And then just a few verses later, you remember what happened? Jesus said, and I'm going to be crucified. 
I'm going to die for the sins of people. I'm going to be crucified. And what does Peter say at that point? He says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And what does Jesus call Peter when he does that? He says, get behind me, Satan. Now he's called him one thing. He's blessed just a few verses before. And now he's calling him Satan. Why? He says this. He said, you are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. You are quenching the Spirit is what you're doing. And so they quench the Spirit. Second thing, then some people grieve the Spirit. You don't want to hear from God because you don't just quench the Spirit, you grieve the Spirit. The word grieve actually has the concept of causing pain inside of it. So the Spirit tells you to do something and you do just the opposite. You don't ignore it. You don't deny it. You you, you, you go just the opposite direction. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is the story of Jonah. You've heard this one before. Jonah was supposed to go to Nineveh, and he went down to the boat dock and got the wrong ticket. And he got one for Tarshish. Didn't work out real well for him as well. See, my experience is that people have quenched or grieved the Spirit in five ways. Now, not everybody has all five ways. Don't misunderstand. But they will quench or grieve the Spirit by, by at least one of these five ways. And I'll tell you what happens if you do quench or grieve the Spirit in this way. It says, one, is by their giving. Now, don't let a preacher tell you how much you ought to give. I'm going to give you up front where I am on this. I believe you need to decide in your heart with God what you ought to give. Whatever that might be. Once you are in tune with God as God leads you, whatever that might be, then you don't quench it and you don't grieve. What you do, you don't grieve the Spirit and you don't quench it. Because what you do is you do what the Lord tells you to do. But many people, many people are quenching and grieving the Spirit in this. Secondly, by their witnessing. You see, when I look at some people and they have not witnessed to one soul in a whole year. And they have not one person, not one person that they're praying for in that uh, right now not a person that they're praying to be saved, then I realize that they're not listening to the Spirit or they have either quenched or they have grieved the Spirit in this because you should have someone that is on your heart that you're seeking to win to Christ. Every last Christian should do this. Third, by their lack of forgiveness. Now, there is someone that you simply have not forgiven. And in fact, what you do is, and I'll tell you what, what I, I've seen people do this over and over again. Instead of forgiving that other person, you rehearse the wrong they did to you. They did this to you, and you rehearse it. In other words, you go through your mind, and you say, they did this to me, they did this to me, they did this to me. You know what? I'm going to tell you up front. They do not deserve your forgiveness. I'm going to tell you, it's a gift that you're going to give. And the reason that you give the gift of forgiveness is because the gift of forgiveness has been given to you. Understand, that's what has happened. And so instead of rehearsing it, you need to forgive them. You need to see that Jesus paid for their sin, that even the sin against you on the cross, and recognize that. Fourth, and by not seeking forgiveness... You have done something 
that you just wish would kind of go away. You know that it was wrong. You did it with whatever it was. And you have neither asked God for forgiveness or somebody else. There may be somebody else that you need to ask for forgiveness. I don't, I don't know what that might be, but those, those two things are right there. And you just hope, I just hope it goes away. It will not go away. It will not go away. And fifth, by their loving. You see, there is someone that you just simply cannot love. There is someone that is out there, I'm going to tell you, they are genuine jerks. I know you've called them other names, but they are genuine jerks. You understand what I'm saying to you? And you've said, I simply cannot love that person. Well, praise God, you're right. You cannot, in your own strength, love that person. It is going to only be by abiding in Jesus Christ and going to him and saying, Lord, I cannot love that person. But will you love that person through me? And then you commit to praying for that individual. And you pray for that individual and you pray for that individual. And watch what happens, how God changes your love toward them. And you say, well, what does this have to do with receiving a word from God? Well, why should God give you his word when you won't do what he's already told you to do? Think about that. Why should God give you another word when you won't do what he's already told you to do? You haven't done what he's told you to do. This is the case of King Saul, who is a tragedy. He would not do what God had told him. His disobedience over and over it happens to him. And then finally, he must have a word from God. And in 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 7, it says, And when Samuel inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. And I would say to you, maybe you haven't done all the things that Saul did. I got that. I understand this. But you need a word from God in order to have faith because faith is not based on just something that you want to dream up in your mind. It's not something that comes from the force of your will. It comes from the evidence that comes from God speaking his word to you. And when you receive that word from God, you do what that word tells you to do. When you receive the word, you will show your belief by obedience, by testimony, by a change in your own attitude. You will see that you will hear from God. Not, God's not a chatterbox. It's not necessarily that he's going to talk to you every five minutes. I'm not trying to tell you. But when you need a word from God, when you need a decision from God, and you need to have what you need to have in order to have faith, then you're going to find that you will find God. You're drawing near to him. He will speak to you. And this is real faith. It is based in evidence, and that evidence is found in the principles of God's Word, the principles of uh, natural facts, or a direct word from God, or maybe all three of those things that are there. For you will never be able to minister, or to muster, I should say, muster enough faith up to have things that are going to happen that God wants to have happen on your own. You need a word from God for faith must have evidence. This is not superstitious, folks. This comes from God. Pray with me.